So welcome back to another Million Pound Villa interview podcast. And I'm very, very happy to say that we have our first ever returning interviewee to the podcast today. So I will make you introduce yourself in a second, Mr. Ames. But as somebody who's been on the podcast before, that, that introduction needs little or no uh, fanfare for me. So thank you very much, uh, Adrian, and, and very pleased to be back, actually. What can I say about me in 30 seconds? Well, here's the thing. I'm probably considerably older than your dad. That's for one thing. And most of that time has been spent in, in recruitment in one sort or another, building and selling recruitment businesses and helping recruitment businesses build and sell and so on and so forth. So I like recruitment. How sad is that? <laughs> so the reason we brought you on today, Mike, is you and I were, uh, I was very privileged to be at a course that you presided over and de delivered to a number of recruitment leaders um, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, and one of the things that came out of that um, uh, event if you like was, was some of the things that I really took away from it was, was the magic number and, and some of the things we'll, we'll get onto in a second about how you set up um, your recruitment company and how you set your target from your recruitment company point of view but one of the things that you and I have spoken about before is this idea that you know at the start of it all so many people that go into recruitment and start to set up their own agencies start to decide they want to sell their company and if you could just refresh our memories, you've had a bit of work or you've been a party to some way, way of some research about the, the level of people that actually do actually sell their agency at the end of it. Yeah, it was some research done by Rycroft Glenton, who are a um, corporate finance house, amongst other things. And they did some research around recruitment companies that were built and, and sold. And they came up with a figure of 0.2% of all recruitment companies or ever sold for a reasonable amount of money in a trade sale. And that's very tiny, obviously. Um, and the problem with that, I think, is that most people, me included, set a business up thinking, well, I'll build it and sell it. Usually we say to ourselves within five years, that's the thing. Yeah. It's never going to happen, guys. It took me 10 to do mine. But um, I think there is that, that belief that's what we'll do. And for most people, that's actually not going to happen. Hmm. No, exactly true. And one of the things that uh, obviously we're getting to that point of the year now, we're recording this in the early stages of December, people are starting to think about their, their future careers and perhaps even thinking about the idea of stepping out on their own or doing something for themselves in terms of the recruitment space. Um, so if you're not going to sell your recruitment company, if you're not thinking that that's or, or the, the, the odds say you're not going to end up selling your recruitment company, what can what is the benefit? What are the benefits of setting up on your own or going out on your own, if you like? What can your recruitment business, if you set it up on your own, do for you at the end of the day? Well, um, it can. that's the beauty of it. It can do pretty much what you want, really. Um, the downside is that many people don't really think that through. They just, that what they are is great recruiters. So they've been working for somebody else, been successful, probably good at 360, so they get the whole life cycle of a, a vacancy and filling and making money. And as a result of that, think, well, I can do it for themselves, which, of course, they can. So they start off the recruitment company and they are still recruiters, really. It's just that they happen to be working for their own business now. Their mentality is still as a recruiter. And the very first thing that everybody has to do is begin to change that mentality. Instead of being a recruiter that happens to own a recruitment firm, you know, now a business owner who happens to do recruitment. And I know that doesn't sound like a big shift, but it absolutely is, it's massive. And the things that a business owner does are completely different, the things that a recruiter will do. 
And they're important if you want to scale. And one of those things that you must do is figure out what the business is supposed to do for you, the owner. What do you want it to do? And it's, it's like being on a bus, really. So you, you're on the bus, you've got the bus, <clears throat> you're going to make the bus go to the destination that you want, you're going to plan the route, and you're going to get people on the bus that you think can help you. But the first the first decision is where is the bus going? Because that's going to then dictate the route, which is also going to dictate probably the kind of people you want to be on it. And that's, I think, the big problem. Don't Don't be that person. Figure it out first. And then build a business to deliver that, and that's what we did on the course, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I look back to my career. You know, when I set up my own business, uh, what ten years ago now, Fresh Approach Solutions, I, I stepped out of my exactly that scenario. I was in my mid twenties. I'd been in recruitment for six, seven years. By that point, I'd built up a team. I'd grown business, I'd set it all up. I'd done the three sixty piece, and obviously, I thought I could do it better than myself, better on my own. I could go out there and do do my own thing. Um, but if I look back to that time when I first stepped out, if you like, and went on my own, I had no real plan apart from the sort of first, you know, year, I want to make sure I get some money in and make my salary. That was kind of all I had in terms of my plan. I probably 18 months in started to think about what I wanted to do with the company or where I wanted to get to. But but even then, it was very much a sort of ethereal idea of what the business could be or where it wouldn't be. And I certainly, you know, having been in this, this session you were in the other day, we were in the other day that you were delivering. That idea of that that roadmap, that bus analogy, getting on it early, as early as possible, um, made a lot of sense to me because it was something I just didn't do the first time around. Actually, if you're if you're in that stage, it's a great sort of process to go through to get you well, that clear effectively. It's it's crucial, really, aid because um, it is like trying to go into the workshop and build something, but no clear idea what you're going to build. Well, just fix some pieces of wood together it's like well no that's not really how it's supposed to be so and in actual fact it's not as hard as some people think because because any business will do four things for its owner mm. just four things really and then around that there are it can do things for the people that work for your business which is mm. great but for you the owner can do four things so let me just run through those with you mm. and then we can dig a little deeper in any of them that you want to um the first one i suppose is that it gives you a lifestyle and, and and a lifestyle is a combination of money and time so in when you're small the more money you earn probably the less time you have <clears throat> excuse me and the more time you have probably the less money you you earn so it's a balance between those two as you get bigger you can tell if your business is scalable because the test is you break the link mm -hmm. between how much you earn and how much you work you can work less and earn more because your business is scalable then. But when you begin, of course, that's not the case. You are the business. And so therefore, the more you work, the more you earn. So lifestyle is important, but that lifestyle will last for the whole of the business for you. It's a decision you must make. The second thing is job satisfaction. So when you go to work, do you do the tasks that you like, uh, that you're good at, and have the biggest impact on the business because really that's what you should do rather than being dragged into many other things now of course when you start the business that's the deal i i remember we had a toilet cleaning rotor between the three of us when i set my first business up because we couldn't afford a cleaner so i get that i understand yeah. but the idea is is to change that as quickly as you can to really focus in on what you're best at and what you enjoy really mm -hmm. and then the third thing which is the killer thing that we talked about earlier which is the magic number is if you can't sell your business and you may or may not, I mean, let's be honest, people do, but if you can't sell it for retiring money, 
then the business still needs to make you rich. It's probably your core mission, really, not one that you would publicize outside of your business, of course, but, but you, you know, it's a thing that it's there to do is to give you financial independence to make you secure for life from a point in your life to when you die, you've got as much money as you need. And so what you need to do there is, first of all, work out what that magic number is, your retirement fund, how big does it need to be? And then how much do you need to invest every year? Um, take out of the business and invest privately to build up that fund because from that point onwards you have a choice you mm. can choose to leave choose to stay choose to take a back seat choose to gradually make the business over to your staff whatever you want because you've got enough money so that, mm. that's pretty cool and the last thing for about a third of the people listening to this show um, want to leave a legacy of some sort in other words they care what they build it matters to them what it looks like what its reputation is, what it means to you, what it means to other people. Two thirds really don't care. As long as they can put a tick against the first three boxes, they're cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. So your job as a business owner, no matter where you are in your, in your journey is to specify those things and understand what they are and then build a business that delivers them. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that the, couldn't be clearer really. And it's, it's pretty easy to, to sort of say them it's probably a little bit more difficult to go through them but i think you know taking the first two just as a, as a sort of piece initially in terms of the kind of the people who are perhaps thinking about going out or perhaps have started on that process and are now kind of in that stage i was effectively with my own business where i'd gone in and just got to try to make it work you know i think those two are, are probably quite interesting kind of pieces because the the sort of lifestyle um determination for what about scripture people over the last two years i know having spoken to a number of people in recruitment and who've been working from home perhaps that lifestyle piece is becoming more apparent to people than perhaps it was before you know people who've got that work-life balance thing now and actually i quite like this idea of either working from home or actually i want to go to the office a couple of days a week you know that lifestyle determination probably people have, have had a their eyes open to it more than you and I perhaps had before and those that worked in recruitment for a long time, we it's like you have to be at eight o'clock, you have to be there at leave, leave not leave till late, all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, I'm gonna get out of that, but I'm quite happy to do something else. But I think that lifestyle piece is is crucial, really. That's you know, perhaps one of the biggest things driving people to set up their own. I, I, I think it's interesting you say that because I agree with you entirely. The, the, the last 18 months or so since since lockdown 2020 um has changed the way in which we all view work and where we do it and what we do. Um, however, there are still some inalienable truths. When you're small, the more you work, the more you earn, mm -hmm. right? And the more you earn, the more sacrifices you make. That's mm -hmm. the deal. That's yeah. how it works. The, the question as a business owner is how long do you want that to continue for? Because when you start off, everything's new and everything's exciting. And you think, well, this is great, earning more money, keeping more of what you earn, making whatever choices you want. You know, take, take a month off in the summer if you can afford it. It's brilliant but you're still the breadwinner pretty mm. much. And then you hire other people, but they need you in order to function. And after a while, you realize that you are working very hard for your business. When in actual fact, your big focus should be to make your business work very hard for you. Yeah. And again, that's a reversal there, but it's, it's incredibly important. That business is there to deliver what you want. And if mm. lifestyle is part of it, and I'm telling you, I've been in recruitment 33 years, I think, obviously in, in different guises, but if I was still doing now what I did in 1988, my goodness, I'd be going mad. 
really. So there does come a point where you think, I just can't do this, going on my holidays, having to take my phone, having to look at my emails, being available for everybody all the time. It's just not good enough. So that lifestyle, which is connected with the second one of those, which is job satisfaction, are crucial, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting, I I look back to my time, again, running my own company back in the the heady days of of the sort of, 2000s and it was like I didn't ever get to a point where I felt like I could switch off from the company I never mm. actually felt like I took a holiday in five six years I was running a company but I effectively ended up um, a slave to that company almost because it was all driven by me everything came through me everything was reliant on me even when I wasn't mm. in the, the business on a day-to-day basis and that's partly down to this idea that I didn't have that structure I had a kind of rough plan effectively after about 18 months but no real problem no real kind of plan in place where I wanted to get to that lifestyle piece wasn't wasn't really part of my thought process at that stage. But, that and been. it should be, shouldn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think God gave me two gifts, um, which I think are equally important. He made me uh, very, very ambitious, but very, very lazy. And that's not a joke. I am yeah. naturally a lazy person. So I want other people to do it. I don't want to do it. And I also accept that most times people are better than me at most things that they do, certainly in recruitment. I was only an average recruiter. I was never particularly good. But... But I knew how to spot a good recruiter and I knew how to get out of their, out of their way yeah. to give them what they needed and then let them loose on it. <clears throat> and that's how you build, excuse me, that's how you build the lifestyle. I think it took me, I was trying to work out before the show, actually, knowing I was coming on here. I think it, it took me uh, about two years, two, no, three years, I think, from when we started to actually have a business that I wasn't submerged under. Like I wasn't 24-7 on it. Mm-hmm not taking holidays. And when I was taking holidays, I wasn't taking holidays. Um, and then it took another two years, I think, of, of being like an employee. So I went to work at nine o'clock and came home at five o'clock and, and did my stuff in the, in the working day. And after that, so that would have been probably, probably 1996-ish, give or take. For the last two or three years of its life, it didn't matter whether I went to work or not. It really didn't. Other people did everything, and yeah. and that actually wasn't very appealing to me. But the point is, that's what we'd set. That's what I'd set out to do. That's what I'd wanted. Be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that is really true. But and that that was a, that was the deal, and, and everything I did was focused on that lifestyle piece because I'd taken so much of a hit in the in the early years, and the sacrifices and pain that I'd felt for that. I didn't want to feel that again. And in the second business, interestingly enough, which we set up in two thousand and one with a couple of the people that had worked for me in the first business after my earn out, I, I really wasn't uh, an integral part of that business from the get-go, which was done on purpose. What they were taking from me was what I knew, mm. my knowledge and my contact list, my network, I guess, um, and and my energy. But after about five years, four, four years actually, thinking about it, I started to drift away again from that. And it, it went on to be terribly successful without me, mm. which probably tells us a story, doesn't it really? But again, it all comes back to this, what do you want? What is it that you want? Be very clear what it is, and then you're much more likely to achieve it for sure. Yeah, and it, and even you know thinking about that, just in terms of tangentially, you could you could have a lifestyle plan that you say actually what I want to do is I don't know go and be a golf caddy. You and I both play golf, but maybe your plan is actually in five years time I want to be a golf caddy. Well, the business could effectively get you there, and then you could take off and do something else. Right, a golf caddy is probably a little bit out there, but you know what I mean. So the business could then allow you to have that freedom, get yourself into a position where you could take that step back as you did. The business continues to run, but you can then use your energies to run a charity, to do other things, to do whatever feels part of your ethos in life that you want to get to. 
Um, yeah, so I think that's the other point about lifestyle. It's not just immediate lifestyle, but it's where can this thing be in five years' time that I could then use that to do other things with or to other things off. And that's exactly right. I mean, my advice to anyone starting out now, and I work with a lot of private clients. I mean, loads of them, more now than I've ever had. And we do the same thing. I work out with them what your business is supposed to do for you. And it's amazing. I've got one client who's been in business eight years. And he still hadn't done that. He still hadn't really been able to write it down. Because if you can't write it down, you don't really understand it. Yeah. And, it and it took us quite a while, really, a couple of sessions, actually, to nail that down so we knew where we stood. And after that, obviously, it's relatively easy, really, because there's certain things that you can do. But it's very important, I think, to understand that now. It can change in the future, which is yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah. Who's to say you can't change what you want from your business? Of course you can. It's your business. But I think start off with something in mind. And the, the biggest challenge, I think, is this concept of, um, uh, the, the, I suppose job satisfaction is the best way of putting it, the role that you have there, right? Because you, get, you basically get $1,000 tasks, $100 tasks, and $10 tasks. $1,000 tasks are the ones that only really you can do because of your experience, because of your contacts, your network, uh, because of the risk that you're taking. You kind of have to do those things. The $100 tasks really take somebody with a certain type of specialist skill or knowledge or experience, but people can be trained up in that. It's fine. Mm. And then $10 tasks, anyone can do. Mm. The problem as a business owner is when you start, you're doing all of them because there's no one else. The trouble is you hang on to them too long. Yeah. And what you need to do is certainly get rid of the $10 tasks as soon as you can. And of course, in the world of VAs, which you use a lot yourself, mm. uh, aid, that's not that difficult to do and it's not expensive. Yeah. And then gradually look to get rid of the $100 tasks. And that's where the battleground is, to be fair, because yeah. you've got to choose the right people and you have to invest heavily in them. Your time, not money now, mm. but you have to invest heavily in them for them to then be able to do what you want them to do to the level that you want them to do it. Mm. And when you do that, that's when the world changes. That is when everything changes. It's also, I, I, in fact, I talked about this in a, in a recent uh, Coffee Break podcast, one of the um, conversations, one of the podcasts I was listening to was talking about the idea of strength versus weaknesses, and, and it, it sort of triggered something in me, is that the idea of, you know, people want job satisfaction, people want that idea of that whole ethos of, oh, well, I want to go out and do the job that's that's perfect for me, that's, that's really enjoyable for me, and actually, I think one of the things about recruitment is you can do that. If you sit and think about what I enjoy about doing, what do I enjoy about my and I've done quite a bit of this over the last month or so, what do I enjoy most about the job? What's the bit that kind of gets me up in the morning? What's the bit that really kind of fires my enthusiasm? That's the bit I want to keep doing. Everything else, I want to try and find a way of having somebody else do it or having something somebody else in my business that can allow me to, to not focus on it. I might still have to get, you know, let's face it. If you're a business owner, you're still going to have to look at the finance and you're still going to have to look at the, the numbers. You're not going to be able to get away from that. But you don't have to have the intricate knowledge of them day to day. You can have somebody doing your books. You can have an accountant or whatever. So I think it's that ability to get to that stage where all you're doing, pretty much 80% of what you're doing is the things you really enjoy doing. And if that's, if you can get to that stage and your own company can allow you to do that, then what's better than that in the morning, getting yeah. up in the morning and doing the stuff you enjoy every day of the week? And you can do that. You, yeah. you can limit yourself to the $1,000 tasks and the $100 tasks, which are indulgences, which yeah. you do because you like doing, really. Mm -hmm. Not too many of those, though, seriously. Yeah. But the other thing is, of course, people who work for you 
want to grow into those $100 tasks. And actually, some of them want $1,000 tasks of their own. And that's mm -hmm. absolutely fine. But it, it is interesting because there is a direct connection between your lifestyle and your job satisfaction. The two are connected. I think the ability to delegate, not abdicate, which sounds like a bit of a business speak there, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But the difference is delegation is a very careful and considered and timely, because it takes time, activity. And when it's complete, the other person has taken responsibility for the thing that you've given them. Mm. Abdication is, well, look, could you just do this? And, and, and there is a million miles difference between those two. And the important thing is success comes from real delegation. It doesn't come from abdication. That's where problems occur. And I've seen very successful companies come undone because they started to abdicate rather than delegate, particularly if you're outsourcing things outside of your business. In fact, especially if yeah. you're outsourcing tasks or activities or responsibilities outside of your business, which pretty much everyone must consider doing these days, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I, mean, I spent a long time over the last few months as I start to bring in these external sources, working with them to make sure that they're doing the things that I want them to do the way I want them to do it. It's, if I can build that effort and that time in now, it saves me time in the long run. But if I you, you have rush to around trying to give it to them quickly, they'll be like, well, I'll be ending up firefighting for the forever basically well yeah and then you'll say oh it doesn't work this it's rubbish yeah no actually you just didn't do it properly that's the answer i mean sometimes if you do if you outsource you can choose the wrong person mm -hmm. well that's fine you should be able to figure that out quite quickly and swap them for someone else which is what you can do if you outsource mm -hmm. but what matters is is in fact i had one of my clients just going back a wee while when we first started helping people to outsource abroad and he'd had like three people in India and, oh, they're all rubbish, they're all rubbish. And I said, there's a common denominator here, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it's you. And yeah. so, it, it, well, it was, the way yeah. he was handling work over, it just wasn't, it wasn't never going to work. So we'll get that right and it changes everything. But the important thing, I think, to, to reflect of all of this is this is more like day-to-day -day stuff. So mm. go to work, earn the money at the end of the month, get your bonus at the end of the year. When you get there, you have a great time, you take your holidays, blah, 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 blah. What also matters, don't forget, is to become financially secure. Yeah. And, and that's the one that often gets forgotten. Mm -hmm. And my financial advisor, well, he's just retired now, actually, but he had this big thing about saying, if people leave it too late, then there's surprise, panic, and blame. It's like, oh, my God, I thought I could retire, and I can't. Whose fault is that? And it's like, well, no, because you should plan that out. Figure out the magic number. Yeah. Figure out how much you need to be worth excluding your home hmm. because your home won't make money for you you're going to live in it hmm. and if you don't live in that one you'll live in another one yeah. so figure out how much money you need and then build a business that generates that and take that money out pay the tax put it into something that you feel comfortable with an investment get yourself a wealth manager that's massively important i've had one for 30 years about 30 years this year he retired i've got a new one but nonetheless but he was in my inner circle with me mm. when you build a business you need people in the inner circle i like to think that i am for a lot of my clients but a financial advisor a good wealth manager is also in there and they will help you invest this money in such a way that it suits your needs based upon actuarial figures which means that if you put that number of that amount of money in each year every year then you might have some ups and downs along the way but at the end of it, that fund will be big enough yeah. because that's how it works, right? So if you do that, then not only are you having a great time 
earning your money, going on your holidays. But you also know each year you're a little bit richer. And then, and then if you do sell your business at the end, that's just bunce money. It's just icing on the cake. Yeah. That means a slightly larger villa in southern Spain or something. So I, I think that this is the best way. We call it a cash go lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. And they are organized a little differently, as you know, because we went through it in the masterclass. Mm-hmm. But but that style of business to grow uh, a cash cow lifestyle is very different in terms of how it's organized and how it grows to uh, a, a scale for sale business. I mean, what it does, it puts a bum on a seat like anybody else, but the way in which it's managed and grows and supported is different, but the results are the same or can be the same. Is that a financial independence, which is what you need. And I think that was, the, you know, I've spoken about this on the podcast this week, the Coffee Break podcast this week, but there's part of the reason I wanted to chat to you about it was that was, was that factor of the magic number, because I, I thought it was so powerful when you when you do it in this in the in the the, the the course I was on, it's 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 quite a it's a start of the start of everything almost in that course. It kind of gives you the, the framework from which you build on from, but but it's such a simple metric. It kind of I mean we we'll, we'll talk about it, in a but but basically it's how much money do you think you want to have per annum? How much does that mean you need to have if you're going to want to basically? Uh, run down the clock on it, i.e., as you said in the course, have the last check you write bounce, or if you actually want to leave a bit of money to your family and your your sort of loved ones after you go. And it gives you a figure. And it gives you an actual figure as to how much your um, investment needs to be per annum to hit hit that goal number effectively. Yeah, and, that, and I think and it's that's such, a, such a simple figure, i.e., gives you a, a pounds 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 number that you can then work to. It it um, is, and and that that's um, it's an, an a net figure. So hmm. then. I say to everyone, just double it. I mean, I know you don't pay that much tax, but just double it anyway. Yeah. And that's how much gross extra your business needs to deliver that you can take out. Because obviously, if you're a contract or a temp business, your cash flow will, if you grow rapidly, your cash flow will just soak up any spare cash. So you might have a big profit at the end of the year, but not enough free cash. So again, management of your growth so that you can take money out sounds counterintuitive, but it absolutely isn't. Yeah. It absolutely isn't. And I think the difference between being a recruiter who owns a business and a, and a business owner that does happen to do recruitment, that's part of the dialogue that you're having with yourself and with your partners is we need to get this money out. Mm-hmm. When are we going to do that? Yeah. Um, and, and I think it is important. Now, uh, you're right that to, to work this out, it's two tables. We, we, if any of your listeners would like a copy, we just have a simple PDF, which you've got a copy of as yeah. well, Adrian, now, I think. And it just has two tables in it. One helps you work out what your magic number will be. And then you put that in the second table and it will tell you how, need, how much you need to invest. It really is that simple. If anybody wants that, connect with me on LinkedIn, ask for it, I'll send it to you. No conditions or anything, I'll just send it to you. But what I would say is this, two things. That table, it was written for us by a firm called Tilneys, which is a big investment business. So it's pretty accurate. We didn't come up with those numbers ourselves. But they're based on a 6% growth, which is, which is quite conservative, really. Um, you can get things that are based on like 15, 10, 15, 20% growth, right? Pretty risky, but you can do that. Yeah. But this brings me to the second thing is this is only meant to give you an indication. Mm-hmm. You, you need to have a lifetime cash flow worked out by your financial advisor who will take everything into consideration. Your personal situation, how many children you've got, um, have you got a rich maiden aunt who are going to leave you a load of money or whatever you want, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. how you spend your money and then and how you save and what you want to achieve when you, you know, what assets you've already got. And then they will put that into a cash flow plan at the end of it. 
They will tell you how much you need to be worth if you tell them when you want to retire. Then they'll tell you how much you need to invest, which won't be a million miles short, I would think, of the figure that we've given you. And then you just build a business to do that. How hard can that be? I know, I know, it's brilliant. And, it, and it's <laughs> given that I'm closer to 50 now than I possibly like to admit, um, and there are a few people out there that are probably closer to 20 than certainly I am, um, I think the other thing that came out over and above that from that conversation was the earlier you start this sort of thing, the easier the number is to get to. If you're starting it now as I am, although I've got other assets and things that I could put into the pot, you know, if you're starting it from scratch at my age, then the number that you have to put into that yearly treasure trove for one of that description is quite large. Now it's not unachievable, but it's quite large. But if you're at 20, mid 20s, early 30s, the actual number, given that you're probably going to look to work, to, let's say 50, 55, 60, perhaps, the, the number of years you've got to put that pot together and compound interest means that actually, relatively speaking, it's quite a, quite an achievable number for most people to find well, out and go through. It's two bob and a conquer. Yeah. It's, it's really small. In fact, Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, was once interviewed and, and asked how he became so rich. And he mentioned a few things. And then he said, of course, some compound interest because compound interest is your friend and compound interest is massively your friend when you're young, just a small, a few pounds put in now <laughs> makes a massive difference. If you look at the curve, you can Google this, right? It's exponential. It's like, wow. And so you, if you're sitting there thinking, listening to this podcast thinking, Oh, you know, I'll look at that in five years time. No, look at it now. Even if it's only five grand a year, 10 grand a year, if that's all you can afford, Put it in and start now and get a wealth manager in the circle with you to work with you for your career to make you wealthy because that's what they can do for you. And I'm conscious that this probably sounds a little bit like a couple of old fogies talking about what, doing what kids should do. But the fact, let's just give you an analogy. I spoke to one of the guys on, on your course with me there and he was in his mid to late 20s probably. I think I didn't ask him directly. Um, but when he did this number, he could get to his magic number by the time he was 45. Hmm. You know, 20, 20 odd years of, of he could get to that magic number by the time he's 45, just like, just like, I think 45, 46, something like that. So by the time he was my age, he could have basically kicked back and gone and sit on a beach in Barbados for the rest of his career. Yeah. He probably wouldn't do at that stage, but because other, other things come into your lifestyle. But the fact of the matter is, he would have had that flexibility, that opportunity, that potential um, position to go down the route of. And that's, you know, that's just an amazing scenario when you think about it. You think, well, I wish I'd done that when I was 25 and not there. Oh, yeah, well, well, yeah, I, I, get, yeah. I get you on that one. But it's interesting because the other differential between being a recruiter owns a business and a business owner does recruitment is that as a recruiter, if you think, oh, I made a, I got, I paid myself and, and paid off all, all my costs and everything, and I had a hundred grand profit, that sounds like a lot. As a business owner, you think, is that all? I mean, for goodness sakes, you need to be three or four hundred thousand pounds, really. Well, if you've got a business which is generating that much revenue, you're not talking about a small magic number, you're talking a big one, and you're not talking 45 either, you're talking 40 or 38 or 35 yeah. or whatever age you are. So, yeah. so it, you, again, this, this shift in mentality is absolutely crucial. It's harder to do than to say, I get that. Yeah. But, but if you do that, then this is the kind of changes that will happen with your business. And yes, you can achieve that minimum level so you can have a comfortable retirement. But who wants that? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That? Well, my number certainly wasn't a minimum. But the, but the, but the other thing behind it is, is, is this idea that you can, you can build a lifestyle. The business effectively does what you would do if you were going to sell it. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? When we yeah. talked about the idea of somebody selling a business, they want 
many millions of pounds, that's, you know, five million pounds, six million pounds, 10 million pounds, whatever it might be that feel that they want to get out of that. And let's say there's a couple of people in the business, so you're going to get a slice of that, that chunk of that sale price. But this magic number effectively allows you to do that and still run yeah. the business and not have to worry about selling it because the levels of people that sell it for those big numbers is so small that actually you can do it through the company. Oh, I've got loads of horror stories, probably half a dozen of people that grew businesses for eight, nine, ten years and they were going really well and then something happened and the, the wheels fell off and they ended up with two bob and a conker when they sold it. it you know, you can't just keep thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll get that in the future because you may not. Anything can happen from ill health to a really bad client that that defaults and, and basically, although you're still profitable, you run out of cash and you go bankrupt. Anything can happen. And I know it's not very nice to think about it, but as a business person, you have to. It's part of the job is to continually scenario play what could happen. Well, if you're making yourself a little bit more wealthy each and every year, and that's what people like lawyers do all the time they've got no capital value in, in being a partner or very little they make their money because they basically buy a seat on the bus yeah. and the bus delivers what they want and then they sell their seat to somebody else yeah. and so you could see a recruitment company very much like that it's a vehicle a utility a thing a machine to achieve all these things for you and when it's done it you can discard it give it away sell it if you can mbos are very popular you know if you if you want to mbo in your business that's the last five years of its life, really, to make sure you've got the right people doing the right things, organized in the right way, and bought into the concept of an MBO, then that can be your exit. And you can make as much for an MBO these days as you can make from a company sale. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And it's, you know, I'm looking back on it now, you know, say back to my my time running my my first company, you know, could I, and I go, actually, we did, the, we did really well for five years, but I was always this idea I wanted to grow, put more people in, build more people, all that kind of stuff. And you make decisions and you make, you, you live with them as you go forward. But actually, the one thing I was always thinking about was selling it. That was kind of my, at that point, that was my, my thought process. And then when, when the 2008, 2009 crash came along, mm. we got hit on the back end of that in 2009 and we had to close the business through administration. Now, there were other factors that went into it. It wasn't just that sort of that sort of scenario. And I've talked about a few of them before in the podcast. But, but the fact of the matter is, had I had that view on my company from day one that we talked about now, then actually that scenario in 2008, 2009 probably wouldn't have been as as, as gut-wrenching as it was. It would have been difficult, it would have been tough, but it wouldn't have been as bad because I'd have got to that stage where I got, actually, I put four years of good money in the back of me here. I've got my cash cow. I've got some of my cash going forward to move forward into the next stage, as it were. But actually, I'd done, which a lot of companies do, is reinvested a lot of the investment we've done and put it into new people and building the company and trying to do, you know, go out there to try and build this bigger, badder company that would allow us to build that kind of, well, strength that somebody would buy there's another there's another discussion around that uh, and i know we don't have time today but I'll, i will just put the basic bones out there in that all recruiters seem to be in a rush and i think it's the way recruitment is we're all transactional end of the month let's make this happen yeah and there is that mentality but that's not a business mentality you know you uh, i've got a client in birmingham and his offices are an ex silversmith it's in the jewelry quarter mm. ex silversmith and you can imagine the business that was there um, in the 19th century, it would have been started by the old man, handed over to the son, handed over to the grandson. Their longevity, their decision-making process was slower and more stable. Mm. Stability to it because it didn't outgrow its strength. It didn't put itself at risk. It knew that it was there for the period of time. And you compare that with, the, well, I'll build it and sell it in five years mentality. Yeah. You're talking two completely different businesses. 
And I think the slower that you grow a business and you make sure that the foundations are sound before you move to the next growth spurt. So we're not talking about a continual curve of growth. What we're talking about is growth, slow down, stabilize, growth, slow down and stabilize. That's a much safer business. And that business will almost certainly achieve what you want it to achieve and a lot more certainty than if you just go for it and hope for the best and outgrow your strength, which, you know, and then bad things can happen to you. I think that's that's a good point to, to sort of to sort of end on for today, but the, and live it with the people because you know we are in that period of growth now. The group market is quite busy at the moment. People are probably out there running around like mad things, delivering vacancies to clients and working on business to clients. But we both know that at some point that that market will slow down, and it's it's about taking that kind of time then when that market does mm. come off, whether it's your space particularly comes off earlier or later or whatever it might be, that you start mm. to think about okay, right now I've got to kind of take a breath. Mm. and look at the next step and next step of my growth um, yeah i do yeah, need to do it when you do, or do it all the time but i'm recognizing at the moment the people are quite busy probably and the idea of moving kind of things around at the moment is probably probably another thing they don't want to have time for but but that calm calmness will come and you then take these opportunities to don't do things just because you can do things because you, sh you, you should yeah. and and, th and that's a, again there's a difference we, we talked about it earlier you can do all sorts you can just hire loads and loads of people and get loads and loads of new clients but you can do that, but is that the right thing for your business right now? Can you outgrow your strength? Will your service levels drop? Will people be dissatisfied and leave? You know, there's a whole, it's a, and it's a cycle, and I've seen it many times, and you will now. You'll see it happening now. So I think you're right. I think it is a good time to reflect and to build a business which is which is stable and delivers exactly what you want of it. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Know, take those four topics, lifestyle, job satisfaction, work for that magic number, which obviously, as he said, Mike can reach out to Mike on LinkedIn or put his, his direct to, uh, LinkedIn connection on the podcast notes. Think about legacy, if that's something you're interested in as well, and build those three stroke four points together to build your plan and see where you want to be and get that, you know, that structure in your own mind clear, make that make yourself aware of that magic number. And then from there, everything can kind of just flow out from that then. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, I'll also throw in um, a video that we've got, which explains how you grow a cash cow lifestyle business. You will have seen that before the show, I think, before yeah, you yeah. came to the masterclass. And that's quite useful. It's only 20 minutes, but it'll explain exactly the difference between cash cow lifestyle and a scale for sale business. So. And I think, you know, and the point behind this is, 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 you know, the cash cow lifestyle business doesn't mean to say you can't sell at the future. It just means you're, you're effectively having your cake and potentially you're going to eat it in the end of it as well, kind of because you're doing one thing but that might not I mean it might no no rules to say it won't lead to the other thing in the future. But the benefit of this model and this route is you're building it on the basis of what you want from day one and how benefits you from day one as well. So correct, yeah, hundred percent. Well, brilliant, Mike. Again, it's been very, very, very interesting. It always is when I speak to you. But equally, you know, from my point of view, from the listeners' point of view, you know, you've given over now two hours of your time. So I thank you very much for the uh, for the re repeat. Uh, conversation uh, and being my first uh, second time visitor to the to the podcast um as we've talked about it already most people can find you quite comfortably on on linkedin you're, you're i know you're very active on there and, and your business flair is available on the web as well um we'll put links to both in the podcast description notes when people uh, scroll down they'll be able to see both of those and as i say mike is very keen or very welcome to the, the magic number documentation and the uh, the video that we talked about. So if anybody wants that, reach out to Mike directly and he'll pass those on to you. Um, is there anything else, anything else you wanted to add at this point, Mike, before we uh, let the listeners I don't think go? so. It's quite a lot to think about there, but mm -hmm. I, I'd just like to, to end 
like I started really see yourself as a business owner who happens to do recruitment rather than a recruiter that owns a business because there is a big difference and that will set you on the right path yeah I think that's a massive 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 point to take away for today so again thank you again for your time Mike and I wish you all the best and uh, we'll catch up again soon you're very welcome and it was it was delightful to be on the show again thank you